0: Thank you. Well, uh, before I start my message, I I want to show a photo. Last week, Alin and I celebrate our forty-third wedding anniversary. And if you wouldn't mind putting that first photo up, now that's not Alin and I. That must be somebody else. I no, that that is that is us married on at Cecil Green Park on the University of British Columbia grounds. And uh, truly, a- Lynn looks like she's, what, 15 years old, 16. She was 20. So I want to be sure of that. Uh, this is not Kentucky where those kind of things happen all the time. Uh, the next picture, please. Yes, that's what 43 years will do to you. So, so there's go. And still a, still a gorgeous bride. Thank you very much. And some a lot of people ask, well, what's your secret? And I wish I knew. I wish I knew. It's uh, I just picked a good woman. There we go. Uh, about a month ago, Glenn asked me to speak at church. I said, Ah, great, because I love the opportunity to speak, to dig into the Word. I, I always be it's always richer coming. It's not because I really want to get in front of a group of people necessarily. You know what that feels like. But it's it's a great opportunity. And then he says you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to preach about what you've gone through for the last year. I thought, okay, are you sure you want me to do this? Are you sure you really... uh, And and I really wrestled with this idea because there's a couple things that I do believe in. One is, is the power of a person's testimony, what they've gone through. However what you don't want to become is narcissistic and it's it's about you uh, another thing is that you don't want this to become self-indulgent and and your own agenda or whatever should be there but but really where's the god thought in all of it that's really what makes a testimony a testimony the god thought where what's god doing in all this and uh, so i have worked long and hard i probably in my years of preaching, I probably have worked harder on this message than I have on anything else because it's really personal. It really, it really cuts. So I, I'm going to give you some, some background information. And the other thing I've decided to do is that uh, I'm not going to name the school that I worked at, but it was a Christian school in Kelowna. And, uh, but, and that's as far as I'm going to go there. No names, no nothing. But a Christian school in Kelowna decided to hire a new head of school. They did a nationwide search. They got over 30 applicants, narrowed it down to four, one from Ontario, one from Alberta, and two from British Columbia. They interviewed them all. I was part of that process. I know I what know my part. Interviewed, re-interviewed, and after what I think was a rigorous process, they hired me to be, be there. I had been a principal at a Christian school in Chilliwack, and it helps a school achieve a dramatic reversal in performance, uh, in spirituality, the, the size of the student body. Uh, it had been an awesome, fulfilling opportunity, but I really felt God was challenging me to do more. So in August 2012, my wife and I moved here to sunny Kelowna. I took my new role as the head of school. And on March 2014, a year and a half later, my position was eliminated with the school. And that was a shock. It's a very unusual thing for a school to have that happen, and they chose to do it. And I want to say at the beginning, I'm not here to say why I'm right and they're wrong, or they're wrong and they're right, because it it could be the best thing that's ever happened to this school, sincerely. Um, I've wandered through all different opinions in my mind, but anyway... As you can imagine, that was a very difficult situation. And um, one thing I really appreciated was my community group really rallied about me. And I think that's a strength of the South that I've seen. I've heard from people in other groups. Other groups who are almost as good as the group that I'm part of with the gays. But I know that people, if you're really into it, you really appreciate what we have and the connections and the support that you feel. I felt that right from the beginning. All the way through. And as a matter of fact, one couple invited uh, Lynn and I over to their home on uh, the Saturday right afterwards and really wanted to talk to us and encourage us. And I I won't tell you the whole thing, but the, the thing that we ended up with was this: is that I shouldn't look at this as a failure, but as a gift. And I shouldn't look at this as a mistake but an opportunity. Now, there's one part of my rational being that understood that. But I want to tell you, it would take months before I could internalize that thought and really believe that not only in my mind, but in my gut, in my heart, in my spirit, wherever conscious thought happens to roll around in us, it would take me a long time before I... I understood that. Now, when that happened, I got phone calls from all sorts of people, and, and I had three jobs lined up right away for me to take. I had, And they were all administrative jobs. One was in Ontario, one was in the Lower Mainland, and one was local here. With a, I had one guy who said, I, whenever, you, whenever you retire from this school, please let me know because I want you to work for us. I just love you to have on, on board. And then within a month, all of those opportunities evaporated. Now I have never been without work. This charming young woman who's buried and married to me for 43 years can attest: I have never been without work a day in my life. You know how chain smokers smoke—you know, light one off the other and keep on. I'm come kind of a chain worker. And I, I love to work, and I, I love to be part of that. And it was. I was now in uncharted territory in part of my life that I had never experienced before where, where I have nothing. I had phoned my family right away, and of course my daughters wanted me to sue the pants off everyone, anyone and everyone, the janitor. They didn't care. You know, daughters, daughters are kind of that way. My sons were a little more level-headed, which, which I really appreciated. After the jobs have evaporated, my son, who lives in Phoenix, Arizona, part of the uh, ministry of a church there, phoned me up and he just wondered how I was doing. He wanted to encourage me, and he gave me a, a prophetic encouragement. And he said this to me, and I will never forget it. He said to me, I want you to picture Joseph in the Bible. When Joseph was in prison, the best that he could ever hope for was to go back to Potiphar's house and still be a slave there. And he would have no idea, he could not begin to imagine what God would have for him on the other side of prison. That is a pretty powerful message. Well, I kept on working, I kept on looking. Uh, if, If, the end of March is just the worst time to find administrative jobs in schools because they're, they're, they're done in January and February, so those were done. Okay, I'll get a teaching job. I couldn't find a teaching job. I thought, great, I'll be, I'll be a substitute teacher because I, I know what it's like being a, a principal of a school. It's hard to find substitute teachers, and particularly they can do a lot of things. And I couldn't find uh, substitute teaching. I asked several places, and they said no. Which is weird. I asked to volunteer at schools and they said no. Uh, I had consulting work that was lined up and it all evaporated. So, what is happening? What is all about? What is this, you know, all about? Well, again, the story of Joseph just continues to resonate through my mind and I would really like to. Tell you the story, an aspect out of Joseph that, that really makes sense. And I'd like to recount the story to you. Now, in the book of Genesis, these, the, the life of Joseph takes up something like about eight chapters. So we're not going to read through eight chapters of Genesis today, as interesting as it is. So instead, I'm going to take an important part of the life of Joseph and I'm going to compact it in probably about two minutes. And that'll make it easier. And to help you remember it, I'm going to ask an assistant to come up and help me. Alin, would you, would you come up and help? And we are going to, if you can imagine this, we're going to go to Sunday school and be reminded about the story of Joseph. And to do that, you all have to participate. Now, if you were children, you would do this. And there's, there's two simple things. As adults, you'll go, oh, I don't want to do that. But just pretend you're children for a while. If you would, humor me. Feel sorry for me. And humor me or something. I don't know. What do you want to do? Here's the story. We're going to tell the story. And what I call it, this is a happy, sad story. Because this is what happened with Joseph. Ups and downs and ups and downs. So when, if I go to the place and I say, and that made him happy. Wait a minute. And you go, yay! Oh, okay. Let's try that again. And that made him happy. Yay! And then something else happened, and that made him sad. Oh, perfect. This is going to work out good. Okay, here we go. You ready there, assistant? Yes, you are. Joseph was his father's favorite son, and that made him happy. But because of that, his brothers disliked him, and that made him sad. He was smart, and he could see how his brothers weren't working very well, and he reported to his father how they could do better, and that made him happy. Yeah. Okay, it's getting pathetic now. You, you've got to really do this. Okay, but his brothers disliked him even more, and that made him sad. Oh. He had dreams that were God-given and showed how he would become very important, and that made him happy. His brothers were now thoroughly steamed, and even his father was not pleased, and that made him sad. But his father gave him a beautiful coat for his 17th birthday and sent him to report on his brother's work activities, and that made him happy. This time, his brothers were so outraged that they threw him down a well and wanted to kill him, and that made him scared. Ah! Uh, No, that made him sad. Then they decided not to kill him, and that made him happy. Instead, they sold him into slavery, and that made him sad. When he got to Egypt, he was sold to a man who had a really nice house, and that made him happy. But he thought how he missed his father and his family and his freedom, and that made him sad. But God was with him, and soon he was in charge of the man's house, and that made him happy. However, the man's wife asked him to do things that were wrong, and that made him sad. Even though he had no rights as a slave, he made a decision to honor God and honor the man and do the right thing, and that made him happy. But he was accused of doing the wrong thing anyway and sent to prison, and that made him sad. In prison, he met some of Pharaoh's servants who had God-given dreams, and he correctly interpreted their dreams. One of the servants promised to tell Pharaoh about Joseph when he got out, and that made him happy. And then the servant forgot, and that made him sad. Then Pharaoh had two God-given dreams. The servant remembered about Joseph he was cleaned up and brought before Pharaoh. Joseph correctly interpreted the dream. And in one day, Joseph was made the second most powerful man in Egypt. And that made him very, very happy. Yay. There you go. Thank you very much. That's not the end. That's not the end of the story. But no, you go ahead. No, no, you, we're through with happy, sad. But the, the essence of that story for Joseph is the ups and downs that he went through and uh, the difficulty that he had through all of that. And, and yet God had amazing things for him. I want to show you a verse. It's Psalm 105, verse 19 out of the New Living Translation. And uh, there are several places. This is one place. Uh, Hebrews 11 is another place where they, they tell little snippets of the story of Joseph. And this is a powerful verse. And this is the focus of really what I think the God thought here. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. There are four words that I want to look in here. And I think that they really say, if if there was, you know, you you ever get to those verses that has so much meat to it that you can really chew on it for a while? Well, hopefully... This is one of those. Let's do the next slide. The four elements of Joseph that, uh, that look there are dreams, testing, character, and time. And I think that all four of these are qualities that probably every one of us in one way or another, whether it's some sort of failure, whether it's a health issue, a health crisis, a business disappointment, no matter what it is, can, can, t- can relate to all of us, to things that we can go through or may one day go through. Let's first of all look at uh, slide three, which talks about the dreams. Dreams. Now, of course, Joseph is known as the dreamer because he had dreams. And these, these dreams, of course, he had two dreams, which are like a witness to him. He had it not just once, but twice. Really kind of cementing that inside of his spirit. And I've got a couple of different things here for dreams. One is that it's a vision or a hope. It's a sweet spot, a place where we really resonate with joy. It can be a dream or it can be a noble cause. And it's different for everybody how God can speak that. I don't think it's a dream that one day I'm going to drive a Ferrari now, I might, and you might have a Ferrari, but is that the kind of dream that we're talking about here? I think the kind of dream that we have is where it's the core purpose of why we're here. Now, I can say the Ferrari thing because I had a big, huge, green Ford van that I've driven for a long time, so you know I'm, I'm not stuck on cars that way. But our dreams make us reach beyond our grasp. They make us stretch. They make us try different things. They make us become risk takers. They really open up opportunities and areas for us to grow in ways that we would not normally do. Uh, our dreams also build enthusiasm and energy in us to move forward on, they compel us. If we have a dream that is from God, it will push us forward. It will motivate us to keep moving. A couple of other ideas. Dreams also sustain us through dark times. If we really have a dream that we feel is a God-given dream, we'll keep pushing for that, no matter what is in our way. I believe that one of the reasons he defied Potiphar's wife and wouldn't give in to her is because he felt he had a higher purpose. As a slave, he had no rights. If you read about slavery, if you were a slave, your body did not belong to you. In that particular sense, he had no legal ground not to fulfill what Potiphar's wife wanted from him. But because he had a higher calling and a higher cause, that made him do that to his hurt. That made him do that. Next slide, please. And if you're a teaching, you'll love this because testing. This is, this is what we're born to do is test. I see some people out there shivering. Oh, no. Either or anticip- in anticipation. Oh, I get to do some tests this week. Uh, that's an assessment. And the, the assessment is when we really find out things. We find out. The, reas- the reason we do assessment, I know it's not to torture kids. I know that you may not believe that, but that's true. It's to find out if we're really teaching and the students are really understanding. It's one thing for the teacher to teach, but has the learner really learned? And that's the way we find out by finding different ways that we can test them and understand. Uh, One thing it does is that uh, it reveals our weaknesses. Now, when I read about Joseph at the beginning of his life in his first early years, he is his father's favorite. He can do no wrong. He's smarter probably than all of his brothers put together. You know, he can see where they're not doing so well. You read the context. And what I think is, is probably he had a little bit of pride. Okay, he probably had a whole lot of pride. And he probably felt very secure in the intelligence. And I'm just guessing. But I think that Joseph needed to learn humility. And that was part of what God had planned. Then he refines us. He, he takes us, and he helps burn away some of those things that he doesn't want, that are not permanent and true to us. And he refines us, and then he also refines our dreams as well, the dreams that we have, the dreams that God has put in our hearts that we want to do to fulfill his work, or however that works with you. He refines us. And then he challenges us, and especially our faith. And the question is, is that through the testing, will the faith that we have stand solid? And uh, there's so many scriptures that talks about how, how God is a refining fire. And it's not that he's trying to destroy us. He's just trying to take away the things that are not solid and secure in him, to come to the real person who we need to be, that, that person. Let's move on to the fifth slide, please. Character. That's the real you. It's not the veneer that you put on sometime or the facade that you put on. It's who you are in the real situation. I have got to tell a story. I remember this from so many years ago. Uh, This is a story about a pastor that came through at our church in Vancouver, and he and his brother had decided that they would get pilot's licenses, so they learned how to fly aircraft. This guy was from uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, he and his brother got uh, these uh, pilot's licenses, and they decided to take some of their family up. They got a four-seater, and they would take their family up. Well, one of the things that uh, I understand that all pilots learn is how in midair, and for the life of me, this makes no sense, but I believe it, is, I believe it should be done, and that is they turn the engine off. And then they learn how to recover out of that because that can happen to you sometimes. It's, it's part, part of the learning that happens. So they turn off the engine, and they recover out of it so that you learn how in case that happens while you're up in, up in the air. Well, they decided that they would take their aunt up in the aircraft, and she was just a sweet, dear, charming Christian woman, had been so forever in her life. And they get her up there, and they both look at each other and decide to play this trick on her. And that is, they're going to turn off the engine and pretend that they have totally lost power and start plummeting to the ground. Well, first of all, what a bunch of rotten kids, isn't that? So, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget this story. So, this is their sweet aunt behind them, and they start pitching down to the ground, just going down, and, you know, say, Oh no, we've lost power, oh no, oh no. And he said, I couldn't believe the words that came out of my aunt's mouth. (laughs) Could not believe it. And they were immediately ashamed of what they'd done, turned the engine back on, got it landed, and never said a word. But sometimes during these times of huge stress, we really reveal who we are. We reveal the real person. And that sometimes is not pleasant for us, but I think it's important to us. To know who we really are. We see it in our speech. We see it in our actions. And we see it in our thoughts. And I think that uh, if you got anything out of the study on the Ten Commandments, we know that the thoughts that we have, the things that we really can hide from everybody, is the real source of the relationship that we have with God. The real, and the way we relate to people. Uh, you can say that you don't want to have murder, but Jesus says if we think it in our mind, we've done it. And, and in many other things. Our thoughts are are very, very, very important. There's an interesting thing about uh, this too. In the previous verse, and I don't, I don't have this down for you, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Psalm 105, verse 18, or the verse before. In the Amplified version, it says that he was laid in chains of iron. This was him in the prison laid in chains of iron, and his soul entered into the iron. It's a really impl- interesting, amplified version. His soul entered into the iron. In other words, the way I would interpret that is, is that he became a stronger person through this. The iron added strength to his, his being. One uh, version also said that the, it, it entered into his backbone. The iron entered into his backbone and made him a stronger person through that. Let's look at the last one, time. And this is the thing that I think I have been grappling with so much is the whole idea of time. And this is why that my own personal experience is one that is uncharted territory for me because I've always been immediately able to find something and move forward and now not to have that means that god has decided to kick in a whole different thing for me i think that when we understand time and appreciate time with god it reveals our understanding of who god is and you know we we um, gosh we sang a great song earlier you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good. In other words, even the timing, all the issues, all the circumstances, you create them and you do wonderful things with them. And that's the way God works. He takes tough things and He makes great things out of it. It reveals our trust in God and it reveals our submission to God. Do we really want to submit to Him? So, At the age of 17, Joseph goes into captivity. He's rejected by his brothers. He is sold as a slave. He goes into prison unjustly and he is there until he's 30 years old. So for 13 years Joseph is in some sort of enslavement. And yet the thing about Joseph is that I believe, is that his faith never wavered. His faith never went off. And, and for me to look at Joseph, first of all, I'm not comparing myself to Joseph at all. I think he is a giant in the Bible. He's an amazing person. His capabilities, what he can do. But he remained, that time thing was not a thing for him. Those 13 years did not diminish what his dreams were. Not at all. Last slide, please. Do you trust God? Such a simple little question. And again, I have, uh, I have several friends. One in particular asked me this question about three weeks ago and said to me, well, well Dave, because we were kind of going through, you know, I so said I was going to speak about this and, you know, kind of how do I do it? Then he says to me out of the blue, do you trust God? And my answer was, Yes, but, (laughs) and I realized, I don't know if I was really trusting God completely in this situation. That was, but I will say this, I think my yes has gotten stronger as I've studied this. A few questions my friend asked me, is your health better? Well, the answer is yes, it is. Uh, Have you gotten closer to God? Well, I would say I definitely have. He says, then, what else do you need? So, interesting thing. I am finally coming at peace, and I see that this is a gift for me. This is an opportunity. Now, I wish I could do it months from now and tell you what finally happened at the end of all this, and maybe I'll come back and do that again sometime. I have no idea. No matter what happens, I'm learning to trust God and learning to believe in Him. I want to play a, uh, a video, and this is going to be way out of everybody's knowledge zone. I don't know if anybody here likes black gospel music, but you're going to get a little dose of it today. Uh, about a week and a half ago, one of the greatest black gospel artists that has ever lived Passed away. His name was Andre Crouch. Can I ask, is there anybody here who's ever heard of Andre Crouch? There are a few old people. I mean, few people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Andre Crouch. Uh, Andre Crouch was interesting. He is. He is thought to be the father. The father of Christian contemporary music. He he was African American, and he was able to bridge black music, and white music together. and create. He's a fabulous piano player and a tremendous songwriter. Well, the video that I'm going to show you, uh, another name that maybe more people will know, uh, for a long time, uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither. Anybody ever heard of Bill and Gloria Gaither? <laughs> Actually, no, but now nobody's going to put their hands up. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Bill and Gloria Gaither. Again, a fabulous set of songwriters white, and very white. <laughs> uh, they're from my, they're from, uh, actually their home is 10 miles north of my home in Indiana, so that's, that's when I put on my strange accent and go all American on everybody. But, uh, but they used to have these shows where they would bring in some of the best gospel artists ever and then they would just do music. And uh, what you're going to hear is one of his songs is called Through It All. And this song talks about learning to depend upon God. And, uh, He's got a singer that's going to join him. Uh, Her name is CeCe Winans. There was a brother and sister called the Winans. Their names are, and I'm not making this up, B.B. and CeCe (laughs) Winans. Somebody asked, what about D.D.? I don't know. (laughs) But B.B. and CeCe, and uh, they sing this song through it all. One of the reasons I wanted to show this clip was um, it has the words, and I think that the words are really powerful. And I hope you're blessed by it because in music form, it really tells the story as well as what I'm trying to say today. And I would love it if the worship team would come up and uh, and get yourself ready while we're while we're doing the song maestro.
1: For tomorrow There have been times I didn't know right From wrong But in every situation God gave less consolation That my trials came To only make me strong mountains, and I thank him for the valleys, and I thank him for the storms he's brought me through, he's brought me through, for if I'd never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve that, I'd never know what faith in his to do, and now I can say...